Well, we're continuing our series in James entitled Real Faith and Real Wisdom. And I explained that as young adults, uh, we are always making decisions. You are making decisions in life where, where Jesus's wisdom is necessary. Uh, and tonight's sermon is entitled Practical Wisdom for Transformed Hearts. Okay, T- Tonight's message, I just have to give you a heads up. And so hope you're the note-taking type. Um, there's a lot because James kind of jumps around. What's weird about tonight's message is you have verses 19 and 20 of James chapter 1, which is almost standalone. And then James launches into this whole topic about hearing and doing God's word. Then he throws in something about the tongue, which is related somehow. And then he talks about orphans and widows. And so if you can see what James is doing, he's really topical and he's changing topics throughout you know, one section, though he's connecting, you know, there is some connection point. So I am going to try my best to do that. But because there's a lot, I'm also not going to go as deep on every single section because I, what I want to do is to really go deep on application. Okay. And just to go look at how some of these familiar passages ought to be applied at the heart level so that we can understand that the deeper application part of it. And that's where the wisdom is going to come from when you really wrestle with the text at the heart. Uh, and then you can go and apply it, which is hearing leading to doing. Okay, so if you have God's word, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. I'll give you a second to turn there. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. Verses 19 and 20 serve as a transitional um, passage. And so the point is emotional speed of conflict communication reveals deeper issues of the heart. That's a mouthful. Okay, but if you're used to the preaching in here or, you know, you'll, you'll be used to that. And I wanted to minimize some of the words for the point. But if you want a complete sentence, it's the, emo- the emotional speed of our approach to conflict communication, which is how we communicate during conflict, reveals possibly some deeper issues of the heart. Okay, that's the idea. Emotional speed of conflict communication reveals deeper issues of the heart. Now look at the verse. James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How many of you guys have heard this verse before? It's a f- familiar verse. Okay, it's a familiar verse for, for many of you. If you're, if you're new to Christianity, this is one of those familiar sayings. It's, it's proverbial. It's, it's wisdom. It is wise to be quick to hear and to be slow to speak and to be slow to anger. But what we have here are three speeds of heart communication. There's something going on in our hearts that I want to see. Three speeds of communication. And because it talks about anger... As the product, the context here is conflict resolution. Okay, so think of a time where you're in a conflict. This can be in a relationship. This could be with a family member. This could be with a coworker. This could be someone uh, confronting you or you confronting someone or just a simple disagreement. Maybe it, it wasn't supposed to be a disagreement, but a conversation led to a disagreement. And often, sometimes you might say something in the heat of the moment and you're like, man, how did it? escalate so fast how did we get to this conflict 
And, and really, you think to yourself, if I just would have slowed down and not spoken so quickly, if I just would have slowed down and wrestled in my heart, you know, things would have been better. So think of a time where you had a conflict. How does slowing down to listen, how does that produce better communication? And for this point, the discussion question that you're going to get at the end of the message so you can be listening for this is how does your communication during conflict reveal the condition of your heart? Okay, that's the discussion question that's going to come up at the end of the sermon during discussion time is how does your communication during conflict reveal the condition of your heart? And that communication might not be verbal. Okay, you can be like, you know what? I'm always slow to speak. <laughs> I don't speak at all. I'm quiet. I don't say a thing. Yeah, but when there's a conflict, you know, maybe someone is saying something in your heart. You're like, you know, this guy's dumb. He's an idiot. I disagree with him. But you're saying that all that silently and you're building up some anger, right? Or, or you're communicating and you're not saying anything. And you're like, you know, I'm choosing not to listen. Or someone wants to bring you, you know, bring to your attention some concerns that they have. And maybe you're not saying a single thing, but you're not quick to listen because in your heart, there's a conversation happening where you're telling yourself, this person's an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. I don't have to listen. And you're not really taking to heart what they're saying. So this is not necessarily verbal communication, but this is the communication of the heart, right? And, and that's why I said we got to think deeper about some of these uh, familiar passages. Why do I keep mentioning the heart? Because look at verses 19 and 20. You see that word product or produce? Production is something that is developed and put forth, right? That's a production. A product is something that is developed and then put out to market, right? That, or however you want to understand product, whether it's a crop, it's, a, it's food, food is prepared and produced, right? So pr production, there's a process that comes into this. And, and so what is happening in this communication process is, is if we aren't quick to hear and slow to speak, it may produce anger, and it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God here refers to godly character. That's the context, right? And it falls right in context with being doers of the word. When you are a doer of the word, you're living off the word. It, it's what your life looks like. It's how your character puts, is put forth. It's the character that's produced from, from your, your being, from who you are. Right? And, and what you say reflects who you are. How you act ref, reflects who you are. And good works are the, the external product of the inward production that Jesus hopefully is performing in all of our hearts. Right? Because that's what James is going to argue later. The faith without works is dead. Not in tonight's sermon. But he's talking about good works prove you know good works are evidence of your internal faith so let me go back to the three speeds right these are three references to emotional speed quick to hear this is the opposite of our human nature which is quick to defend ourselves right quick to argue quick to complain quick to speak against others and, and we just have to be honest about it that that's our human nature and and then it says slow to speak that's the second speed it, it is the, so that's the other emotional speed. It's slow. Slow meaning we listen first, right? Seeking to understand the whole story. And then the third speed, we're slow to anger. And that's another speed. And so w when you think about this, this is wisdom. Where does James pull this from? Right? This is not a brand new New Testament idea. The beauty of the New Testament is that it contains the gospel. And the gospel presents the message of Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ, which actually, who saves us. 
And Christ makes it possible for us to live out the Old Testament wisdom and teaching. But this is based off of the Old Testament. Keep in mind that James is writing to predominantly a Jewish audience who understood wisdom in their mindset as from the Old Testament. So in Proverbs, the, the book of wisdom, right? In Proverbs chapter 17, 27, 28, you kind of see the same thing. And what I want you to see here is that the outward speech always traces back to the inward spirit. And when it says inward spirit, that's talking about your being, meaning your heart, your character, who you are as a person. So let me, let me read to you Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. For whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And that's kind of humorous. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So it's talking about being slow to speak quick to listen, this idea of having a cool spirit. Here's another one. So this is, there's a lot of examples, but I just put two up tonight for the sake of time. Proverbs 11, Proverbs 11, verses 12 to 13. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. And that's verbally belittling his neighbor. But a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering, so that's speech, reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit, his person, his being, his character, keeps a thing covered. And so this whole idea of, of your tongue, which we're going to come back to that theme later, your speech, what you say, your words, not just speaking carelessly, not just allowing the heat of the moment type of thing to happen where you say something, you're like, man, you know, I didn't mean that. I totally didn't mean that. But it reveals what's happening in your heart. So I don't know if you've been in an argument before. I think most of you have. But if you're in an argument, right? Just imagine someone saying something and, and, and your, your emotions are just raging. You may be super calm, but that's what I'm saying. You may be speaking in your head. Like, What's this guy talking about? It, it, it's actually a spiritual discipline to, to listen and, and, and to pray at the same time. So you're listening to the person and maybe they're criticizing you or being critical. Uh, and, and, and you're asking God, God, Lord, is what this person's saying, is there any truth to it? Am I... Have I been irritable or have, did I, was I insensitive? Was I not being thoughtful? You know, is there any fault in this? Do you want to show something to me, Lord? Is there something about my heart that you want me to see? See, what you're doing is, even if you're not verbally saying anything, you're being quick to listen to this person, understanding their story. Maybe I heard them. Maybe I didn't intend to, but maybe I didn't really understand where they're coming from. And then, and then just dying to yourself and listening and then bringing before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me from this? Right? And then actually when you do that, you're battling the temptation to become angry. And so, so the Lord uses this process of listening, being quick to listen, to reveal deeper issues in your heart. Right? Sometimes when, when your heart is not rested, like you haven't read the scriptures, you haven't prayed, um, you haven't sang worship songs, you're super stressed out by work, you're super stressed out by traffic, you hate traffic, um, you're super stressed out by your team losing or whatever. And so as a result, you know, it, it's harder to take criticism during that time. So you could just be at work and, uh, you know, having a progress review and your boss can be just laying it, laying it to you and say, hey, you need to improve in this. And you need to get your sales numbers up here. here. And, and you could just be sitting there just getting angry, right? Because your heart is not rested. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes, sometimes when we're not having that internal conversation of listening and then bringing it to God, you know, we're, we're not recognizing that we have a deeper issue which is maybe some disconnection from God. And God sometimes uses these times of, hey, don't get angry. Listen, 
to really address issues. And God sometimes saying, hey, you need to reconnect with me, brother. You need to reconnect with me, sister. You need to reconnect with me, God is saying. Right? And sometimes that's what happens when we get into conflict. So our hearts need to be transformed by God's word. And so this leads us to point number two. So point number one, like I said, it's a little different. Uh, point number one was emotional speed of conflict communication. How you communicate during conflict reveals deeper issues of the heart. Okay? But moving into the second point, we're, we're moving into this entire theme of hearing that leads to doing. Right? It's, it's not enough to hear God's word, but you need to do God's word. And so in the first point, it was listening to other people. That, that should push you to listen to God, but listening to other people. And, and in the second point, it's hearing the word of God. Right? So that's, that's point number two. Point number two is hearing and applying God's word at the heart level. So the connection for all of this, I, I want to try to set forth tonight. I actually want you to see it, that it's really about the heart. It's really about the heart. Okay, and, and I know we've been talking about like slow to speak, right? And, and so when we get to discussion time, you know, I, none of you guys are going to want to speak by, by the time we're done with this message. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, um, but, but basically, you know, we're, we're going now to how do you hear God's word? How do you hear God's word so that you can apply it at the heart level? Uh, you know, this text is actually teaching that if you can't apply it, then you might not have taken the time to hear it. And hearing is not just audible hearing. I want you to see that. It's really understanding the word of God, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ at the heart level. And this requires some preparation, right? Preparing your hearts. But the discussion question for point number two. So what, what we're doing is that every single discussion question you're going to get uh, is actually connected to a, a main point. Okay, so the discussion question that you're going to get for this point two that I want you to be looking for as I explain this point is, what does it mean for you to hear and apply God's word at the heart level, right? And it's not just audible. So what is it? What does it mean to hear and then to live out God's word or apply God's word at the heart level? And so if you look at, if you look at what the text says here, let me, let me read to you first verse, uh, starting in verse 21. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, that's humility, right? The implanted word. I want you to think about that. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. There's, there's tons of, you know, verbal communication happening when you're listening to sermons or when you're in church. But what does it mean to actually receive the implanted word, right? So you, you kind of got to think about that. And then look at it. It talks about implanted in the heart. That's the heart language. That's why I keep going back to the heart, which is able to save your souls, which is also your inner being and your person. The first thing we got to do is pray to the Lord to help, to ask him to help us prepare, right? That's the first thing, preparing your hearts to receive the word. Verse 21 is all about preparing your hearts. Notice that, again, it's a process. This is therefore... Put away all filthiness. Filthy is just about like, it, like it's horrible, right? You you can say, "Hey, that's dirty," but when you say, "Man, that's filthy," right? That, that's that's like your dog pooped and left it all over the place, and you know it, it's horrible. It's filthy, but that's that's how we have to see sin. That's how we actually have to see 
our sin nature, that this is how we have to see how deep and wretched our unsanctified nature is. I'm not saying that we are all the most evil people in the world, but I am saying that we have to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, this filthiness requires change. We need to put it away. Now, filthy in the original context, back in the New Testament times, this word filthy was used was used to describe filthy, dirty garments. So it's the, it's the same idea we see when Paul uses put off and put on. So to put off old clothing and to put on new pure clothing uh, or clothes or, um, or, or brand new shirts. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant. You know, the word rampant means abundant. Okay, it means abundant wickedness. Meaning there's a lot of wickedness, but I don't think that the sense of the original Greek word that's translated as rampant means quantity. This is not talking about a quantity of sin. Like, like you looking into your heart, so like, look how many sins you have. It, it is huge quantity. This is more talking about the quality of sin. And I think that's why the ESV uses rampant rather than abundance. Because, because it's just so abundant that sin builds upon sin and deception builds upon deception. Just go back to the first point and think about what happens in the midst of a conflict and all the thoughts that are going in your head and you're second-guessing yourself, you're, you're beginning to judge the person, and then you're getting angry, then you get feeling guilty, and then, and then you start, you know, looking in deep and then it just builds a, this, this spider web of, of, uh, of sin that's being revealed that you have to bring before God, right? And so rampant wickedness refers to the quality of sin. And this is why only Jesus Christ can purify. And, and this is why it's a heart thing. This is not something that's external. You actually can't with your physical external nature, just say, okay, I'm going to put away all filthiness now. And I'm going to put away this rampant wickedness. It's so deep that you actually have to humble yourself. That's the meekness part to say, there's nothing I can do to really deal with this apart from being meek and receiving the implanted word. Now, what is the word? Take a guess. What is the word? Is this the Old Testament? What's the word? James is one of the earlier epistles written. So test. There's a test. When James was written, was the New Testament completed yet? Come on, nerds. No. So do they have the Holy Bible like we have it? 66 books. Not yet. So what's the word? What's the implanted word? The Old Testament plus Jesus fulfilling it, plus everything that Jesus would have taught with James being the half-brother of Jesus and now a follower of Christ, would have understood. And everything that would, yes, become the New Testament, but at this point, it's talking about Scripture, but it's, it's, it, but you have to have the Gospel. Right? So, so when it says the Word that can save the Word, it's talking about the Gospel. It's, it's talking about Scripture plus the Gospel, and Scripture contains the Gospel. If you don't have the Gospel, you don't have the power. And even, even the, the law, the Old Testament law was external. The law gave you commands from the outside. But to have your heart changed, that's the new covenant. That's Jesus taking the law and writing it upon our hearts. So think of implant, that the word of God actually has to sink into our hearts for change to happen. And then it says, which is able to save your souls. And that, that again goes to, does scripture alone save your souls? You can read scripture as knowledge, 
but it won't save you. You can read the Old Testament, but it won't save you. You need to read scripture, which contains the gospel of Jesus Christ, and believe and repent and receive and surrender to the person and work of Christ, right? To be saved. And so this, this implanted word must include the gospel, which is able to save our souls. And because this, it talks about salvation, that's why we have to include the gospel. And, and, and I love that word, implanted. Implanted. It's a heart thing, not just an action thing. So hearing, how do you hear with your heart? How do you hear with your heart? Right? And so James continues. So the second sub-point we see here is that hearing without doing is self-deception. And again, this is under point number two. Hearing and applying God's word at the heart level. What does that look like? Hearing without doing is self-deception. That's the point he wants to make. Okay, So it says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see that inner deception. Deception is something that happens internally within yourself. Right? Verses 23 and 24, it says, for anyone, if anyone's a hearer of the word, and that hearer could be reading even scripture, not just listening to sermons. But if, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, there's something seriously wrong there. I mean, we shouldn't be staring our, our, at ourselves in the mirror all the time. Like, yeah, you know. But, but I mean, if you were to look at the mirror and just be like, oh, what did I look like again? <laughs> you know, wait, wait, wait. What did I look like again? Probably something happened. What do you think happened? Okay, so I'm not saying that you can't see. So you can see. And you have a normal brain. You know, you, you don't have any... Um, there's nothing that's stopping you from seeing. So if you look in the mirror and then you turn away and you forget what you saw, most likely what happened? There's only one logical response. What do you think it is? It's not that hard. What do you think it is? You didn't like what you saw. That could be... But, but then you would have really known because you'd be like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really like that. Okay, so if I look at you, if I turn towards you, and then I, I, I didn't even know that I looked at you, probably what, what probably happened? You, you can't forget. What is it? No, you, you can't forget. No, too metaphysical. Too, too metaphysical. Mirror's broken. Keep going, keep going. It's easier, it's easier. You actually didn't look. That's the answer. Okay? It's, log it's logically impossible to look at a mirror and then turn around, especially if it's you. All right? And again, I'm not talking about, you know, you lost your mind or anything like that. Okay? Especially if it's you. To look at a mirror and forget what you look like. It means you, you didn't even look. And, and, and so, so, that, so think about that, right? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's like they didn't even hear it. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away. So this is talking about himself. So a man, he knows himself, okay? He goes away and at once forgets what he was like, meaning you don't even remember what you look like. That means you probably didn't ever look. You didn't look. Now here's the here's the illustration of this, right? You guys listen to music? Do you always pay attention? Nope. That's what it's like. Okay, so so you could be studying and you have background music, 
And I ask you, hey, what did you listen to? I don't know. Or maybe you can give me a few words of the tune. You, you forget. See, it's easy for us. Or you can have the TV on. And I said, what did you watch? I don't know. Why? Because I was looking at my phone half the time. Well, you didn't really watch it, but the TV was on. So that's what it's like, right? When you look in the mirror, you didn't really look. You had the music on, but you weren't listening to the lyrics. You weren't really listening to it. And, and, and so I think it's the same with God's word. And and guys, I'm a preacher and I'll, I confess to this too. It is hard. Um, you know, I, I make a commitment, you know, to try to listen. That's part of the reason why I sit in the front or, or closer to the front. Um, you know, but but it is hard. There's plenty of times where, where I'm zoning out of sermons. So even in, in my sermons, I give you grace that, 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 you know, I think I can only hold your attention for like five minutes or, fifth, or 15 at most. And then I have to give you five minutes of grace time. Right. To, to zone out. That's just the human nature. OK. And then you'll zone back in. But for those five minutes, you didn't hear it. But you were listening. You heard my voice, but you didn't really hear it. But but a lot of times that's how we look at God's word. You can even read God's word. But if you don't meditate upon it, if you don't think about the meaning, if you don't ask the Lord, Lord, what is this verse saying to me? How do I need to apply this? It's as if you didn't look at it. Right. It's like running a podcast in the background. God's word is just going on in the background, but we're not really listening. And, and you know what? This is human nature. And this is even harder now because our attention spans are shorter and there's so much noise going on. It's so hard to be still and, and, and to really come before God and, and to allow the word of God to really marinate upon our hearts and then to look upon it. Right. And so that's what it looks looks like. But notice the opposite of this. Okay, so, so look at look at verse, look at verse uh, twenty four. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he is like. But verse twenty five. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Some of your translations will say and remains and or abides, meaning you stay there, and perseveres in staying in the word of God. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So a lot of times we're like, hey, how come, the, you know, I listen to sermons, but I'm not growing. How come I'm reading the Bible? I'm not growing. How come the word of God is not leading to application? And I say, have you actually heard it? Have you heard God's word? Have you heard the spirit speaking to you through the scriptures? Did you think about the lyrics of the worship songs that you sang on Sundays? Because I will confess that it's easy for me a lot of times to just be going through the motions. Sunday morning, I'll be standing there, I'll try my best to worship, and I'm thinking about how to start my introduction or what announcement I need to make without looking at my card, right? And and, and so so I have to discipline myself to like close my Bible, you know, during worship, you know, don't look at, you know, unless sometimes I, you get last minute announcements uh, and, and just, to, just to sing and actually think and meditate upon the words, right? We need... And, and so how do you listen at the heart level? It's deep and reflective listening. And sometimes you have to actually take what you hear, bring it to a different setting and say, okay, you know what? I need to write this down, but I don't have time to look at it right now. I'm going to go home and tomorrow morning. I'm going to be still before the Lord. I'm going to take a look at what I wrote down from whatever it is that, that the Lord impressed upon my heart. I'm going to meditate upon this verse or this paragraph or this application that was given to me. Notice that it says we must look into you see that verb in verse 25 but the one who looks into and so 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 sally that that was great you know like like you look at the mirror right and, and, and what if you didn't like what you looked at that means you looked intently right so i might look and be like is that a zit on is that a 
nose here I need to cut, you know, and, and, and I might say like, you know, I got, you know, I, I got another freckle, you know, from running too much in the sun. Um, that's me, you know, but, but Hey, um, as, as I get older, I stop looking in the mirror. I'm just like, I don't care, man. Let's just go. You know, I don't, care. um, but, but, but I, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, are we looking intently, right? If you really stare at yourself in the mirror, you're going to see the details. Okay. So, um, that's the illustration. Look into the perfect law. Now this word law here, uh, this is synonymous. This is the same as the word. Right, because because you're going to see once again that this law frees your heart. It can save you. So it says you need to look intently, not just glance at, not just have it running in the background, not just hearing words in the background, but look intently into the perfect law. And then it said the law of liberty. It's the same law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets. You forget because you didn't look intently, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing, meaning his application will be blessed. He'll be able to apply God's word because he actually, he or she actually thought about it, right? Um, now, this mirror illustration, I want to clarify that it's not referring to the Old Testament function of the law. You see, the perfect law here refers to God's word. The Old Testament function of the, of the mirror, sometimes um, some commentators are, are mistaken, right? They, they read this and, and there's actually like different theological arguments on, on on how mirror is being used in this passage. And some will say that, that the perfect law here is talking about the Torah, talking about the Old Testament law, how Jews looked at the law as perfect. But but actually, when you look at the New Testament and, and, and we look at the, the illustration of the law as a mirror, the law actually shows you how sinful you are and, and it doesn't free you. If It shows you you're enslaved. Romans talks about that. That when you read the Old Testament law, you're like, yeah... I broke that one. Yes, I got I got these two, but man, I, I I broke that one yesterday. Oh man, Lord, you know, give me a perfect cow. Let's kill it. Let's sacrifice this lamb. You know, please forgive me again. Oh man, I broke this one. And it reminds you of just how sinful you are. And, and, and so the law actually enslaves you back into your sin. If the law is good, the law is pure, the law is perfect. But in this sense, it's talking about the perfect law, meaning the Old Testament law perfected in Jesus Christ. It is the law of liberty because when you take Christ, Christ can free you. And so I think this is talking about a different illustration, right? This is just simply saying, saying how intently do you look? at the word of God. It's, it's using the mirror illustration of just glancing quickly and forgetting or really looking deeply at it. Okay, so so I just want to clarify that. Now in verses 26 to 27, James gives us examples of hearing the leads to doing. So once again, point number one, earlier was emotional speed of conflict communication reveals deeper issues of the heart. And so we need to learn to listen to other people and listen to what, what goes on in our hearts. Then point number two moved into, are we really listening to the word of God, right? Are we really hearing the word of God? Are we really listening to what Jesus wants to say to us through the scriptures? And so point number two was hearing and applying God's word at the heart level. Now point number three, okay? Point number three is doing that reveals a transformed heart. So remember the theme, hearing the leads to doing. You don't want to just hear, but you want to be a doer of God's word. The discussion question for point number three is how does what we say and who we give attention to reveal the spiritual state of our hearts? This one you got to think a little more. Okay, but how does what we say, so your speech, 
and who we give attention to. I want to say your passions, your commitments, something that you do voluntarily, okay? Not your career or job or something you have to do, but who you choose to give attention to reveal the spiritual state of, of your heart. Right, so these will all be posted as discussion questions. But the first thing we're going to say is we're going to see is what we say. So, so James, you're, if you were talking to James, you say, James, hearing the leads doing, can you give us some examples? Give us some examples. And he's like, let me give you two. Right, so the first one is what we say. What we say is an example of hearing the leads to doing. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and in this context, religious is talking about the external practice of religion. Okay, which was common in Judaism. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, right? So there's a heart language. This person's religion is worthless. What are you talking about? Bridling, like controlling, guiding my tongue? And, and if I don't do that, I deceive my heart? What are you talking about, God? And so uh, let me unpack this a little bit. Okay. So the opposite of external rituals and tradition is inward, true spiritual growth, right? Bridling the tongue refers once again to speech. And the person who puts a bridle on his tongue, it basically controls what you say. So a bridle, uh, putting a bridle on your tongue in this context is not saying be silent. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's not like, okay, I'm not saying anything. Because you can be, again, like this. And in your heart, you can be having all kinds of, of bad things happening in your heart, right? Bad thoughts and sinful thoughts and judgmental thoughts. But it's, but it's talking about your speech being guided and controlled by God because his implanted word has been put into your heart. So now you're speaking what is from your heart. The person who places his trust in outward religion will eventually reveal his true colors. That's the idea is that if you're simply looking at law and saying, you know what, I'm going to go to church because I have to. Yeah, I'm going to put offering because I have to because otherwise I feel guilty and everyone's looking at me so I better not curse you know oh, I'm, I'm at church now so I'm going to tone down this this language that I usually use oh man I'm at IT I can't tell dirty jokes oh man I'm among Christians I can't gossip but you get my illustration you get my point that that you could be bridling your tongue but that's not really who you are because once you go home or once you're you're unleashed into your natural habitat <laughs> then then the the real person the real you comes out and that's something we all have to um have to examine in ourselves right this is something that we all struggle with so in other words true values will be expressed verbally religion is not a bad thing, but religion can so easily mask what we really believe and what we're really thinking. And so uh, this religion must replace re must be replaced with a pure, sanctifying relationship with Christ. And religious acts that replace repentance are deceptive. That's what it's saying. It's that you're deceiving your heart if you're just being religious, but internally there's all this stuff happening in your heart. Now, one commentator says that the average person will speak 18,000 words a day. Okay, 18,000 words a day. Think about that. The average person will speak 18,000 words a day. And this is, this is, um, this is, you know, looking at, I don't know when this statement was written, but does email count, you know, and, and text? Probably, because it reveals something about you, right? So... The average person will speak 18,000 words a day, enough for a 44-page book. So each day, just think of a 44-page 40, book. Now, the same commentator says in a year, that amounts to 66 
800 page volumes. Now I forgot to bring the book in. That, that's when I was, um, I, I was talking with Kevin about a book, but there was a book that had normal prints, not like Bible prints and, and thicker pages. And it was, it was a little thicker than this. And, and that's an illustration of, of some, something that's 800 pages. So just imagine something like this, 800 pages, 66 of these. That's a bookshelf, like 66 of these things. That's how, how many words we speak in a year. And so the things that, that dominate our hearts, as much as we want to hide it, if you got 66 of these things, anyone who really knows you, they're going to know if you're racist at heart or if you're prejudiced towards certain people or they're going to know what you love. They're going to know what you care for, who you care about. Right? They're going to know what your passions are. They're going to know about the jokes that you make. You, you cannot hide it. If we're speaking 18,000 words a day, eventually our speech will reveal our true nature. We can hide it. but, but So he's saying bridling the tongue doesn't mean become silent, but bridling, bridling the tongue shows you that now what you say, these 18,000 words still, even though we are still sinful, at times, these 18,000 words are now being guided by God because the word of God has been implanted in your heart. The gospel has transformed you. So you begin to talk about things like scripture, the gospel, Christ, sound doctrine, theology, church, evangelism, missions, practical application of biblical teaching, how to share the gospel with people, biblical issues. And now that's not all you're going to say. You'll talk about the Lakers. You'll talk about, you know, you'll talk about sports and different things like that. You'll talk about your career. You'll talk about normal conversations you have to have in planning but more and more your speech will be will be salted and and sprinkled and eventually filled with things of God because that's what the implanted word does it's like having a heart transplant only it's Christ coming into your heart changing you so the first thing is doing that reveals a transformed heart so how do you know your heart has been or is being transformed by God how do you know that the word has been implanted how do you know that you really heard the gospel well, you do it, but it's not just external action, right? Because that's just religion. It's what you say in a year, what you say, it reveals. Now, the second thing is who we give our attention to, who we give our attention to reveals what the Lord has done or is doing in our hearts. And so who we give our attention to notice verse 27. Again, it starts with religion, right? Religion. Religion that is pure as opposed to religion that's just external and hypocritical. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, this is not just talking about visiting orphans and widows and you and everyone has to do that otherwise you're not saved that's not talking about that there's a principle there. there there's a reason why james mentions orphans and widows there's a reason why the old testament mentions orphans and widows as people that we need to be caring for uh but first let, let's let's go back to the beginning of verse 27 religion that is pure and undefiled before god meaning when god looks at this form of worship it's acceptable to him and we know that that's only possible through christ the only thing, the only worship that's, that's acceptable before God is worship that comes through Christ. So this is talking about someone who has been converted. And then as a result of their conversion, 
it's not visiting orphans and widows that saves them, but because they've been saved and the word of God has been implanted, they are doers in this sense to visit. Now that word visit means to care for, like visitation. So it's not just stop and go, right? When you visit someone, you know, it's not, not just like, hey, hi, okay, bye. To visit means to spend time caring for orphans and widows. Why orphans and widows? Orphans and widows, especially in the New Testament times and in the Old Testament times, were the most helpless people in the ancient world. We're talking about the helpless and the hopeless. Orphans in the Bible uh, are younger children who could not provide for themselves. They couldn't work. Uh, if nobody takes care of them, they will die. And widows in a male-dominated society where, where most of the society and the careers were dominated by men, uh, if their husbands passed away, widows could not fend for themselves financially. They could not provide for their children. So you're really talking about the hopeless and the helpless. And when you keep your hearts focused on orphans and widows, naturally you become less greedy and less worldly. It's just naturally you begin to realize how rich and how blessed you really are. And that explains the last part of verse 27. Notice that it says, visit orphans and widows. Don't just visit them, you know, but what does it mean? Visit them in their affliction, meaning in their suffering, in their need, visit them. Why? To keep oneself unstained from the world. And that's talking about worldliness. And that's just common sense because if, if your heart longs and beats for you know, orphans and, and widows or, or the helpless and hopeless. So, so don't just say orphans and widows because you don't want to make it a legalistic thing saying, hey, do you care for orphans? Okay, you're not safe. That's not what it's saying. Okay, but, but do, you, do you think about people around you that God's placed in your life that are in need? And if you spend all your try time trying to serve people, trying to uplift people, trying to minister or disciple people, trying to care for people, then you just don't have enough time. It's, it's just, you're not going to sit at home and just say, hey man, I wish I had more. You know, you're not going to be as attracted or as tempted by, by the things of this world. You, you still will be tempted, but you just don't have time because all of your attention is focused. And actually, it's a sobering thing because when you're looking about the broke, when you're looking at the broken in the world, you're like, man, I'm really blessed. Man, God has really blessed me. I have clean water and, and I have a rice cooker, you know. Um, I can make rice and I can have flaming hot cheetos on top and if i just ate that every single day flaming hot cheetos and rice and water i'd probably die but at the end of the day i would still not be poor like some people in this world who don't have clean water and don't have flaming hot cheetos and don't have and don't have food and are fighting to grow rice and grain and and, and so again when you think about the fatherless you're thinking about the helpless when you think about widows you're thinking about the hopeless how do you then give hope to them so who do you give attention to versus what are your hobbies? What dominates your heart? Is it money? Is it, you know, something in this world? Is it a worldly pursuit? Um, it's sobering. How do you keep yourself unstained from the temptations of this world? Focus on caring and uplifting the needy. And that is true religion. The evidence is a transform heart. And again, I'm not saying you have to care for orphans and widows um, to be saved, but but who has God placed in your life that you can turn your attention to, right? Or what things, what ministries and, um, and who we give our attention to. So what we say, who we give our, our attention to reveals real doing because the, the gospel has been implanted and true hearing has occurred. The big idea of tonight's message is that when Christ implants his word within our hearts, we are transformed 
from mere hearers to wise doers. When Christ implants his word within our hearts, we are transformed from mere hearers to wise doers. And it's a process, beloved. It takes time. So don't beat up on yourself tonight if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm sitting here and I feel so, like, have I ever heard the word? I have such a hard time living it out. And, you know, we're all there. We've all been there. There are seasons where we all struggle with that. So just look at, okay, well, God, how can I give attention to you now? How can I hear you now? So once again, these are your discussion questions. Hopefully they were um, addressed and answered throughout the sermon. Uh, and as you get into your groups and discuss, um, you know, you can go deeper on this. You know, so number one, again, how does your communication during conflict reveal the condition of your heart? And if you're if you aren't in conflict, if you're like, you know, I never get into conflict because I don't like to fight. Then are you just not getting into conflict out of fear? But in your heart, you're hurt by people, offended by people and, you're, and or you don't like them and you're just storing it up. You know, uh, number two, what does it mean for you to hear and apply God's word at the heart level? Right. Really reflecting deeply and allowing it to be implanted, not just hearing it you know, audibly. And then number three, how does what we say, our speech, and who we give our attention to, our commitments, our passions, uh, reveal the spiritual state of our hearts.